welcome to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves, and I try to figure out how they got to where they are. So if you're a coder who wants to get into business, or maybe if you're already in business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode three with Tracy Lee. My guest today is Tracy Lee. Tracy is the co-founder of This.Labs, a consultancy helping teams build front-end application and is focused on hiring women. She's also a Google developer expert, RxJS core team member, a women tech makers lead, and a frequent keynote speaker at conferences. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I thought we might start with a bit of your backstory. Um, I talked to you a bit before about your first startup, Dishcrawl. Do you want to give the audience maybe just a little bit of uh, an overview of that and sort of your history with Dishcrawl? Sure. I started off loving food, of course, as all a lot of women do, I think. And I started taking pictures of food and I thought, hey, maybe I could turn this into a company because I love this so much. So I uh, was in the Silicon Valley and it was at the time when Groupon was starting to explode. So that new whole idea of restaurants discounting their food was was a thing and they were willing to do it. And uh, of the time of you know, mobile phones and pictures and kind of, you know, this is when Instagram first started. So we ended up starting this thing where we took people on food adventures. Uh, Ottawa was actually one of our biggest um, cities, which is crazy. Ah, cool. Montreal was That's our cool. second city. Edmonton was our hottest, hottest city. So a lot of Canada. But I mean, we were in the US and we expanded to about 250 cities across the US and Canada. It was a fun time. I did it for eight years. I sold it three or so years ago. And then that's when I kind of found JavaScript. Very cool. Okay. So were you like, do you have a history as being a developer? Were you a developer at that time when you started Dishcrawl? No, I was doing, uh, you know, I was just on the business and marketing side. So I served as CEO for that company. And, um, you know, we were, you know, all I need, I, I still remember the first time, you know, thinking about what technology, right. When I was looking for my first technology co-founders, you know, and my first tech co-founders were PHP. And then, you know, I would go to tech meetups. I'd be like, well, which one's better Python or PHP, you know, like the fun conversations that most developers have with non-tech people about choosing a technology. Right. <laughs> we yeah. ended up uh, writing, rewriting everything in Python. Those were, um, the, one of my, um, one of the first, first engineers of Reddit, Judberg, he was, uh, one of my early co-founders and anyways, tech was a hot mess. Let's just say we were using vanilla JavaScript and, um, you know, bootstrap. I mean, this was like 2008, 2009 or something like that. So, right. yeah. And then, uh, you know, one of my boyfriends, actually, he was, you know, he was wearing this cute little, we had just started dating and he was wearing this cute little shirt and it had a little Tomster, the Ember Tomster. And I was like, well, that's a cute little thing. What is that? And, you know, <laughs> he's really into JavaScript. And I don't know if Ryan, you've gotten your wife ever into JavaScript or development or tried. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. She's, she's done some introductory stuff and she actually really liked it. Um, I, I'd like to encourage her to continue, to uh, continue at some point. We had, we had a baby recently, which kind of uh, threw things off a little bit uh, on, on her learning path, but I'd like to get her back into it. Yeah. I can't tell you how many developers I talk to that are like, 
well, my girlfriend, you know, (laughs) you know, or my wife should. So um, that was me. You know, I was like, oh, hey, my boyfriend's really into this thing. What is JavaScript? I made the mistake of saying like, oh, yeah, I've heard of Java before. (laughs) I think that was like our second or third date. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I took a three week uh, boot camp thing online and then just uh, never looked back. So that Very was cool. that was my JavaScript story. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so I'd love to hear a bit more about what happened with uh, with Dish Call. So you you said uh, you started it. Was it eight years ago you started it and then you sold it about three years ago? Or what's the history? Uh, so I think I, I started it, I think, January 2009. So then, yeah, I, um, it was really crazy. I mean, you know, startups are funny because you see a lot of people, for example, who are like, I have this idea and I'm going to quit my job and work on this idea. And I saved up this amount of money and we're going to get funding right away. And you know, that never happens, right? Like you suffer and then you're broke. And then, you know, like every time somebody says that without actually making revenue, I'm like, okay, back up a little bit. Don't quit your job. Because in my opinion, if you can't do your full-time job and do a startup at the same time and make it successful, you're just never going to be as dedicated as you need to be for a company, right? Like startups and building a business is hard. Like you have to be able to take that dedication. It's not a nine to five. Um, so I, I worked, uh, a full-time job and then did my startup for two years. Finally, when I figured out revenue, I quit my job. It was very nice. I told my boss I was taking over the world and, you know, she's like, okay, whatever, crazy person. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, I started doing it and we, you know, we went from five cities to 15 cities. And then we hit this inflection point where, we finally figured out operationally how to launch in different cities. Um, and then we went to 125 cities in less than three months. It was crazy. So that's 125 wow. people. Cause we need one person, at least one person, every city. Right. Um, and then, uh, got funding. It was exciting. Um, you know, it was rather like amazing. So the, f- the f- creator of match.com, what's now match.com was one of my first investors. And then uh, Ned Guinness, who's, you know, basically owns the Diageo brand. So all the alcohol uh, under that brand, uh, he was, you know, one of my investors as well. So all the other investors kind of hopped on because who doesn't want to be investing with a billionaire? Right. Right. So, yeah, fun adventure for a while. Built it, grew it, started white labeling things for uh, companies like Google, for example, uh, when they were launching their local guides. Uh, so like the early iterations of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, got bored. So then I sold it to another <laughs> startup doing food stuff. <laughs> cool. That's cool. Um, I'm curious, just maybe even like a little bit on the, the technical point you were mentioning of, of you reached that inflection point where you figured out how to scale it up uh, more quickly than you had been before. What, what did you figure out? Like what was different at that point that allowed you to scale uh, to the size that you got to? Yeah. So we, um, you know, I think when you're doing startup, everything you do is really like you want to do one thing and then you realize something else is working and then you kind of do this little pivot thing. Right. So that was kind of for us. We were trying to build this adventure online where you go to all these restaurants 
on a on a computer. So this is like right when mobile was happening, right? We weren't doing mobile development yet. Mobile development was much harder at the time. Um, so, you know, it was just go to this website, tell us you ate at this place and then get prizes. You know, we'll mail you some prizes if you complete like the list of restaurants we tell you to go to. Um, but then, you know, started taking people on food adventures to promote this idea, like a real world, what was on our website. Mm. That kind of went crazy. So uh, one pivot point was when, um, you know, Jeff, who I met on Reddit, this guy who ended up being my co-founder, he was like, uh, your website is not what you want, right? Like, this is what you want for your website. I was like, okay, you're crazy enough to tell me what I want. So whatever you build it, built up a thing in like two weeks. And then all of a sudden, like our, you know, website sales started going up because that's why people were coming to the website. Second thing was, um, Amy, who was a person that Will Bunker, my first investor introduced me to, uh, she was doing, she was like a very good operations person. So she basically took all the things in my head and just said like, oh, okay, Tracy, you're, you're doing this and you're doing it, you know, f- like f- five, 50, uh, where were we? What were 15 cities at the time? And then she was like, okay, I figured out how to scale it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of proved it out. And then, you know, just like this rocket ship, just, you know, we were onboarding 20 people a week. Like it was really crazy. Wow. But like, yeah, once you figure out the operational processes of those types of things, um, everything just works out. So even with this thought these days, like I think what the first company taught me was uh, how to just sort of like operationally scale things. Right. Like the different pieces you need in place to make something successful. That's really cool. Well, yeah. And on the note of this dot, let's let's talk about that. So uh, this dot labs, this is your uh, your new company. Um, How long has this dot been in existence for now? It's been around for two years. So it's, you know, I don't know, new ish, I guess. But we have over 50 people now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I was was talking to one of my other friends. He was like, "Um, we're at 50 people and we've been in business for seven years. I'm like, well, it seems so less stressful to me. Cause you think about 250 people in one year, right? Like I was in hell. Okay. I mean, I was having fun, but Holy crap. Things broke. Right. Right. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, 50 people is like, eh, well, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting that I guess, I guess we're so we're, you know, new ish and we've gotten to that growth. So that's kind of nice. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I don't know. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. I love the people. Yeah. What? uh, And so I was going to ask, what, what is it uh, that you, you guys do, I guess at at this dot? Um, I mean, what's, I understand you, you're a consultancy building applications. It sounds like doing consulting with startups. Um, Is that, is that the scope of it or how would you describe your, your offerings? Uh, so we actually work with a wide range of people. So whether it's, you know, a person who wants to just build out an idea and doesn't have any technical, you know, he kind of needs a technical co-founder. We'll do things like that. Those are really fun for us. Of course, uh, we'll work to mid-sized businesses as well to large scale businesses, um, who just need help. So we have everywhere from staff augmentation to, uh, we work with a lot of different core contributors. So the t- probably the biggest differentiation between the Salt Labs and other companies is that 
We work with all the different framework authors, and those are our mentors and people who tend to work on different projects with us. So, um, you know, one of my co-founders, for example, is Ben Lesh, and he wrote RxJS, of course, and he uh, he's on the Angular core team right now, right? Or Jay Phelps, who is co-author of Redux Observable, WebAssembly, et cetera. So, you know, it's like when you run into problems in development, as we all have, and you're running through this issue and you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on, sometimes the easiest way to get a solution is just to um, ask the person who wrote it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the things we offer. Um So, yeah, we have very high level consulting there. And then another thing that we're really focused on this year is we're trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between woman and tech and kind of increase that pipeline. So we're really focused on companies who want to give women a chance um, and trying to figure out how to solve the business need of, you know, most women, not all women, but there is a larger percentage of women just getting into development versus mm. the senior developer. So like, how do we solve that problem on the business side and on the pipeline side? Gotcha. I'd be really curious about your, your thoughts on that bridging, bridging that gap. Um, do you have any kind of initial thoughts on, on how to approach that? I, I think it'd be useful for a lot of companies, a lot of you know founders. So a lot of people say it's a pipeline issue and it's really not necessarily a pipeline issue. It's this whole idea that women are like, you know, when, when did the movement for women in tech start, right? So this has just been over the past couple of years that we've kind of noticed it, that the industry's kind of taken notice of this. So what we're seeing is this influx right now, right, of women. But most of the women in the industry that I've met and, you know, I don't want to make any large generalizations, but just based on what I see through my eyes is most women that I meet have, you know, one year to four years ish experience in development. And four years is actually still kind of like on the not norm side. So when companies come to me and say, Hey, I want to hire a woman. I say, okay. And then I talk to them a little bit more. I realize, well, they want to hire senior developers is really what they need. And, um, it's very exhausting to them to think about like, Oh, we don't have the time to mentor junior developers. We need that senior developer. We have business needs, et cetera, et cetera. Like these people don't know our, our, our tech is complicated. And, You know, those are all valid business reasons, but the business reasons is what's blocking people from actually hiring women in tech. So what we're trying to do is say like, okay, hey, we'll hire the junior developer, but we'll also pair them with one of our senior mentors. So when you buy like consulting from us and you say, I want to hire a female, you know, that might be like, we have this thing called an apprentice program, right? So it would be hiring like 40 hours of a female junior developer and then 20 hours of a senior developer. So this will ensure that, you know, even though a junior developer might be doing the work, you're getting that code quality, um, you're getting, you know, that extra project management, um, and you're making sure that you're not taking away time from your other senior developers. So business requirements are being met on an ongoing basis. Um, 
the other great part about that is like, you know, we keep talking about the pipeline problem. So as you're hiring a junior developer, you know, paired with this senior developer, you can actually hire in that junior developer, do do a direct to hire, you know, within three months to 12 months of you actually working with that person. So it's kind of a nice thing. I mean, financially, it's also not that big of a leap from what you get from like, let's say a mid-level developer. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, any company is listening, obviously we're super happy to talk about that because it's, it's a, it's something we're very passionate about this year. That's very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, I'd love to chat about uh, contributor days. This is, um, you know, something I've I've seen a lot uh, from you on online on Twitter. Um, and uh, I have yet to make it to a contributor days, although um, I might be able to make it to one after all pretty soon. The GraphQL one that we were talking about, I actually might be able to make make it out to that. So let's chat about that after. But um, I'd love to hear a bit more about uh, what contributor days is um, and also how um if it is at all, how it's useful to your business, like how those two things uh, are intertwined, if at all. Yeah. So with this dot labs, we are this dot in general, we have two sides, we have the lab side, and then we have the media side. So I got into all of this, number one, because I love development, but number two, because I really love bringing people together and, um, you know, just evangelizing, JavaScript in general, right? Like how do we bring the general community together? So we have this other portion of our business called this.media. And, um, that's kind of, you know, that's, that's like my favorite part because we do all these events, you know, in the JavaScript world, right. And contributor days is one of those events. So the whole idea with contributor days is this idea of if you put enough amazing people in a room, then, people will figure things out and great things will come out of whatever happens in that room. Right. So we've done it for angular view, RxJS. Uh, we're doing a testing one and then we're doing GraphQL one, uh, for GraphQL specifically, it is a bunch of people who are working on GraphQL related things. And we're just sticking them in a room and talking about advanced things related to GraphQL. Like what are the different issues that you're seeing? Um, you know, how has, how has GraphQL been moving in general and what exactly needs to happen or like what frameworks or not frameworks, but like, how are people architecting uh, their GraphQL applications? Another topic we'll be talking about is GraphQL in different languages, right? Like what are people doing in these different languages and kind of inviting, again, everybody, you know, people from GraphQL, PHP, Java, Ruby, et cetera, et cetera, into the room just to have good conversations around this. That's very cool. Um, and so these uh, contributor day sessions, I know some of them at least are are live streamed. Are they all live streamed are they open to um developers who might be in the place where the the contributor days is happening or how, how does that go so contributor days specifically and it's probably our own it's our only event that's like this but it's usually behind closed doors so people can have really honest conversations about different things right um browser contributor days that we did with Adi Osmani from the Google Chrome team that was just live broadcasts, which was awesome. But, you know, sometimes you have to talk about things that aren't like, you know, that you don't want to broadcast online, maybe. Right. 
<laughs> so GraphQL Contributor Days is going to be closed. But what you can do is if you register, and this is for all Contributor Days, then what we do is we reach out and figure out, hey, are you are you in town? What are you interested in, et cetera? Because if you're the right person to be in, be in that room, then we definitely want you in that room as well. Gotcha. That's cool. Um, kind of looking at this dot media uh, or the, the media side of this dot labs. What else uh, what else is going on there aside from contributor days? So we have this dot JavaScript and we always do state of whatever. So uh, every we run these like every every few months or so. But we have state of frameworks, for example. And uh, this dot JavaScript is this whole idea where, um, you know, I'll give you an example of frameworks. So frameworks we bring together Ember, Polymer, Angular, Vue, um, React, core contributors, right? And we just have them give uh, RxJS as well, obviously. We just have them give a five-minute update on, hey, what's going on these days in your technology? So there's two things that this accomplishes. Number one is... Where do you ever get to see all the core contributors get together and give a quick update on the stuff that they're doing, right? This is very valuable, I think, for the general community. It also shows the community that, hey, there's no framework wars anymore. Everybody's working together. Technologies are basically the same. Everyone's rewriting everything always. (laughs) Performance, right? Um, And then in addition to that, I love it because it kind of forces all the core team members as well to listen to what else is going on in the world because they have to be on the screencast. So that's kind of like my secondary motive, you know, like, Hey, if they're listening to what problems the other people are having or what they're doing, maybe they can actually help each other. I like the efforts to bring the communities together and try to, to put an end to these, uh, these warring attitudes that we so often see on the interwebs. That's very cool. Um, one thing that I, I'd be very curious to, to hear your thoughts on is, um, from, from everything that I can see, at least you are a very, very busy person You're Um, you're traveling a lot. You're doing a lot of conferences, a lot of different engagements all over the world. Um, you're, you're running a company. Um, there, there seems to be no end to the, to the uh, amount of things that you're doing at any given time. Um, what are your, what ways have you found useful to kind of manage all of that? And, you know, do you have any kind of particular, uh, tactics, uh, tricks that, that helps you to, to stay sane through all of that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I do that's really useful is I think about everything I'm going to do in like for 2019, right? November and December of 2018, I was just thinking about all the things I needed to do. So what I do is I just create, I create a lot of spreadsheets. Um, Like for example, I know... You know, I also host modern web events, right, both in the Bay Area and Raleigh, North Carolina. So I just, you know, at podcasts, I mean, I don't know. I think we have like five podcasts going on now that I need to be a part of. So I just add I just create a a spreadsheet of all the things, the cadence of when I want to do things, all the conferences that I want to go to and all the different dates And then I put it in a calendar and I look at my calendar and just make sure that every week throughout, you know, the time I'm not killing myself. Mm -hmm. And what is that? So what does that look like out of curiosity? If like how much is too much? How much 
uh, would you have to be doing to get to that point where you're like, oh, this is starting to get to the point where I'm killing myself or I'm, I'm, I'm doing too much? Well, last year, was it last year or the year before? The year before. So 2017, I was doing like eight things every month, eight events okay. a month. And eight that, events. That was, that was intense. That was not, that was not good. So, not sustainable. so um, you know, last year I said, okay, I'm only going to do four events a month. And then I probably did a little bit more. So this year I'm like, okay, I'm only going to do two events a month and let's see how that goes, which means I'll end up at four as well. (laughs) Just inches its way up, eh? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean, uh, Angular Rome just launched, right? So I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, Angular conferences around the world that are popping up this year, which is very cool. Um, it's uh, it's neat to see them happening in, in places like Malaysia. I don't know if you saw that one that, yes. that just popped up. Yes, Jessalina is doing uh, that one. Yeah, Rome. There's one in Berlin in August. Anyway, the, the Angular conferences are are taking shape all over the place. So your, your your calendar might get a bit more full as we go here. Yeah, but I mean, I just I just look at I just look at my calendar for the month and say, hey, do I want to do this? And then after right. I pl- you know, I, I have big ambitions, big appetite put it on a spreadsheet, plan it out in an actual physical calendar. So I have an events calendar for myself. And then I look at it and say, okay, is this too much? And then I start paring back a little bit. Like people, people always think, um, like, let's say you want to start a meetup, right? When you start a meetup, you're thinking, oh, we need to meet once a month, but you don't really need to meet once a month. You can meet mm-hmm. once every other month and life would be completely fine. <laughs> sure, yeah. Or like modern web in, in the triangle, right? Like, we meet once a quarter because I like big, big, big meetups. So, <laughs> yeah, and that is that is probably the biggest meetup when I was there last year. That that is probably the biggest meetup that I've been to, like non conference event, just kind of evening meetup during the week. That was by far the the biggest event that I've been to. So I, I think that has a certain uh, value, right? When you can get a large number of people in a room, maybe infrequently, rather than a few people every, you know, more frequently every month or whatever it may be. Um, and I'm, I don't know if you've seen that to be a, a value in, in the meetups that you do. Well, I mean, there's a big difference, right? Like you go to a 40 person meetup and you make more friends. For example, mm. you go to a 150 person meetup and you don't make as many friends, but you get to see more people and you have more impact. Sure. So yeah. eh, it kind of depends on what you're optimizing for. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd love to talk about if somebody wants to get into the world of consulting specifically. So maybe, um, you know, if, if you're a developer, you've been in the game for for a while and you want to start serving clients, maybe you've got a job, a day job and you want to start serving clients. You want to, you know, act as a consultant or freelancer. Um, do you have any advice uh, for how people might bridge into that, how, how they might go to to start getting customers? You know, I think you might be the better person to answer that. <laughs> well, I've certainly, uh, I, I, I've got, a, you know, a, a few clients that, that have kind of propped up um, almost by happenstance. You know, there, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of my customers, a lot of my clients have, have just sort of thankfully been, been almost delivered to me uh, via referrals, via people who know people. Um, a few, you know, that, that have come through like LinkedIn and such. 
Um, but here, maybe this is a better question. How, I guess, at, uh, at this dot, how do you guys go about, um, sourcing new, new work or, or is that something that you're, you're even actively doing or, or, or are maybe you more so just waiting for people to, to reach out to you? Cause we, um, we definitely know we're in an industry that is fortunately very abundant, at least right now with work. So are you guys waiting for it to come in or are you doing a lot of, uh, uh active sourcing yourselves? Well, we're really lucky to have built a pretty good brand in the industry to where people contact us. And even when I'm like, oh, God, we don't need any more work, you know, we still get inbound. Right. And we still try to fulfill those things. Um, We do do outbound as well or plan on doing outbound. Um, But I think it's a mix of both. I think for the general developer what I've seen is that you just kind of start telling people, right? Like stick up a random website. Doesn't have to be crazy. You know, even some of the larger organizations who have 50 something people. um, It's funny. I say that. And then we, are we a large, I don't, I still view us as a large organization, but like the larger individual development shops, let's say, um, you know, sometimes their landing page will just be, Hey, contact us. Here's our contact information. That's it. So like, you don't have to think about it too crazily, right? Like you can put that up in, you know, half an hour, hour, whatever. Um, and it could just be a picture of your face and say like, Hey, I'm, I'm available. Don't stress out about getting business cards, building a logo, blah, 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 blah. Um, those are just excuses for you not to do what you want to do because you're scared (laughs) in my opinion. Um, so you know, and then just start telling people, right? Like you, if you go to a conference or whatever, probably conferences are the best place to meet the, those relationships. Like I see a lot of people who start going to conferences and speaking at different meetups and just saying like, Hey, I do consulting. You started on the side, you do the 20 hours a week during your evenings. And then, you know, you get another client and then you decide to quit your job. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of the path that I've seen, um, that one person developer go about it. And then you get more work. And then if you get more work, you talk to your other consulting friends. And then all of a sudden, you know, three of you guys are working together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's certainly the way that I got into it was slow and steady more so than making a big leap. Um, You know, it's the finding a client, doing some work for them in the evenings, getting a referral, building up that client list over time, and then eventually quitting the job once, uh, you know, once it's a reality. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about, cause you're at a point now with this dot where you, you, like you said, you've got 50, um, 50 staff and is that 50, um, kind of full-time staff or does that include consultants, people that are, uh, you know, uh, f- almost freelancing for you? How does, how does that work? Is that, is that all in-house staff? It's every, it's everyone. So it's okay. people who maybe are working like 20 something hours mm-hmm. on the project, um, uh, versus, you know, our full-time people. Gotcha. Okay. And so what are you, um, you know, assuming that, that things that, that the trajectory is still upward, which I, I assume it is, um, what are you thinking about right now? What are you mindful of as you take a look at the future, as you're thinking about, you know, hiring more people as you're actively recruiting? Um, is there anything that's top of mind for you in terms of challenges or, you know, what's any, any kind of barriers that, that you see? Yeah. As you grow, everything breaks more, right? So it's really important to grow at the pace that you're comfortable with. But um, as we grow, 
for example, you know, we're onboarding five new people this next week. And, you know, the first I, I just spend like two hours on my calendar just to look at where on earth I'm going to put these people and one on ones and okay, you know, maybe we should do one on ones every other week versus every week or every month or who, you know, who's going to become the manager who's going to be that, you know, be an additional person that's going to do those one-on-ones. Um, I was talking to one of my other friends and he just said, yeah, you know, we have one person just dedicated to just doing one-on-ones. Right. But like, what do you, what do you do to make sure things don't break? Like, okay, now you have a ton of different projects. Now it can't, you know, it's, it's not just like, let's say one more developer. So you, it can't just all stay in your head. So mm-hmm. if it can't all stay in your head, then, uh, you know, what is the process for onboarding a new project? What's the process for offboarding a new project? What's the process for making sure that the clients are happy if you can't talk to every single individual client on an ongoing basis? So really, it just comes down to, and, and you know, I, I saw this in my last company, right? It's just like, how do you scale? What are the what are the things you stick in place to make sure that it's not in your head and it's not right. your responsibility because you remember it? <laughs> Is there anything in particular uh, with this doc that's that's uh, been a really good nugget for you to 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 do that to to get it out of your head to um, you know? And I'm thinking here about like you know, putting systems in place, for example, like, are there any particular systems that you've been able to put in place with this dot that have been effective? Yeah. I mean, I think this is more on the, so we also do developer relations as a service at this dot. Right. So, um, what, you know, and it's just like, I would, I would kind of view it as a, you know, a good example is let's say you're working on a consulting project and you have a client, right. Every per, every new person you onboard, you're going to have to walk them through how to set up their development environment. So if you're doing that, you know, every single week to a new person, or you had to do it five times, like by the second time, you should just record the thing and then just like, forget about it. Right. And so that's kind of what we do because, you know, especially at my last company, if you can imagine, you know, we're onboarding 20 people a week. Okay. I can't have 20 one-on-ones. I can't have, you know, okay. Five one-on-ones with one, you know, five people on one, one on one, like that's five hours of my life that I'm training somebody. So even for the marketing stuff, I just record it and say like, okay, we have a how to's folder and look at that folder. Okay. Figure it out. Okay. If you can't figure it out, we'll walk through it. But it drastically decreases the amount of time that I have to spend. That's great. Yeah. I think that's really useful. Getting things um, out of your head in terms of getting them onto the screen, I think is one huge uh, benefit that, that a lot of companies can put into place. I saw that a lot when I was working at Auth0. We, you know, we were growing quite rapidly when I was there and they still are. Um, and that was, that was a tactic that we used, right? We were um, wanting to take the information silos um, out of the company and, and by um, putting things onto the screen, more or less, you know, doing screencasts, um, even things like writing documents, um, you know, with, with a higher degree of effort was, was really useful. <clears throat> 
one thing I would love to get your thoughts on is recruiting, because I think there's a lot of um, there, there are a lot of companies that are in your position, you know, whether it's a startup or an agency and they're, they're growing rapidly they they need staff that's that's um you know when it comes down to it they they need uh, they need people um do you have any special approaches um to recruiting any any ways that you think about recruiting that that maybe um would be useful for others to hear yeah so we are very lucky because i can just send out a tweet and then get 30 resumes so i do not have a pipeline problem <laughs> I just have a problem where, um, you know, in, in my opinion, we're still small enough to where I still want to vet everybody that comes into the company. Right. And so I'm the only one doing the vetting. Right. right. Like you see a lot of companies kind of waffle about this, like, hey, should I be hiring a recruiter? But then, you know, you feel really you feel like, oh, you know, I didn't you know, I didn't do this. And you know, 30 resumes, what? So I have 30 conversations like, no, I'm going to die. Right. So what I do is I created this list because what what I like to do is I like to make sure that I don't hop on a phone with somebody unless I absolutely have to. Right. So I created this list of interview questions and, you know, I I just have it in a Google respond. You can do those canned responses. And um, every time I look through a resume and I think, okay, hey, this person is interesting. I'll just send them that canned list of interview questions. Right. I have one for technical, one for non-technical. And then they'll send me back, you know, a gigantic. I mean, it's it's a very big list. Right. It's probably like a three page document or maybe two page document. And what are some of the questions out of curiosity that would be on there? What are some examples? Questions would be like, you know, what are, what are your long-term plans? Like that's a, that's a really big one because, you know, if somebody's, for for example, for us, if somebody's long-term plan is not hanging out with us for quite some time and they really want to go work for a large company, then, you know, what's the point, right? Right. Or, you know, actually some, um, you, you get, you get a lot. So what interests you do about the position? What are you looking for long-term? Where do you want your career to be in the next five years? Um, you can also tell a lot based on, you know, junior, senior, mid, because a lot of juniors slash mints, they're just like, well, I just want to do things like tell me what you want me to be. Right. Whereas a lot of more senior developers have like opinion, you know, stronger opinions or like, what do you what do you what do you do in your current position? Rate yourself in your top five technologies. Um, are you comfortable in all technologies? That's important for us. What are your strengths and weaknesses? What's the hardest part about working remotely? We're a fully remote company. Um what do you do when you become really frustrated with a teammate, you know, or like give us an example of something you told was technically wrong and you disagreed with the architect. How do you deal with the situation? Like small little things like that, but it gives you a really good gauge of who that person is. And if you want to work with that person and then if they pass through that, then I send them a take home. So, you know, we have a general take home. And then if they pass through the take home, then we schedule the interview just to like not waste anybody's time. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a that's a very it sounds like it's a very effective filter to put right at the start so that, like you said, your time isn't being spent on just waiting through um, resumes that might effectively go nowhere. Um, Very cool. And is there anything on the questionnaire that would be uh, technical? Like, are you looking for, you know, show me your knowledge about these array methods or or things like that? That's that's why we do a take home. 
Okay, the take-home has all that. Right. So we don't want to put people through a take-home, obviously, until we're like, okay, this seems like a good personality fit. And then right. we put them through the take-home, then we rate them, and then we're like, okay, if the take-home works out well, then we'll... And the take-home, you know, it's funny, because some people will spend three days on it, and some people will spend two hours on it. So, you know, it's not meant to be a gigantic project, but, you know, right. sometimes people, you know how it is, take it, it's like, how do I interpret this? Should I do X, Y, and Z? Like, oh, I want to make this pretty too. Should I use this? So it's really like, sometimes we'll see people just using every single technology possible. Uh, and you're like, okay, were you just trying to show me what you could do? Or like using really like, you know, when, um, react, uh, hooks came out, right. Some people were using that. And then, you know, like our people, like, you know, Jay, Jay Phelps, for example, you know, he's doing he's like, well, I don't know about this. Or they're trying to use RxJS because we're heavy RxJS. It's like, OK, was really impressed with this, was not so impressed with this. So it, it's fun. It's really fun to watch people go through that. That's really cool. Um, so, you know, before we start wrapping up here, I, one thing that I'd love to ask is, have you had any, and you don't have to name names here, but are there any bad experiences you've had with your clients? Um, any, any things that have gone sideways so far? And if so, how did you, how did you deal with that? And, and I mean, you don't have to obviously name who it was, but I'd love to hear if, if you've had any bad experiences so far. I mean, we've definitely had, but I think everybody has had bad experiences, um, I'm the type of person that forgets. So this is actually pretty crappy because I sometimes forget why, like if I'm mad at you, like I'll forget why I'm mad and I'll just get over <laughs> it. So that's annoying because I'm like, dang it, I was mad at you for some reason. But um, with our clients, uh, let's see. So, um, you know, in any business, right? Like you just have to be careful. Like, for example, one of our clients uh, didn't pay us for a year. Or One a, year. Wow. Yeah. Or a smaller company, for example, went out of business and, you know, we're out, you know, 10 grand or something like that um, from the last payment. So that sucks. Right. And as a small business, like, what do you do? Like that money is really relevant to you. Um or, you know, like this one client, I was like, is he being a dick because I'm a female? Or what? And that was really stressful for me um, because how do you, you know, I really want to just be like, look, you, you can't treat people this way. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I mean, can you change people who are dicks? You can just not work with them. That's okay. Right. Um, right. For people who are, and I would say that like, you have to love what you do. So everyone has a different threshold and you, you know, so sometimes I view difficult people as like, okay, this is a growing experience for me, right? But you need to know when the growing experience is not a growing experience and just a really bad relationship and what you're going to do with that information. Um, I guess it's the same with any job, right? And your boss. But then for payment, payment wise, I would say, you know, developers, especially if you're doing consulting, you should be billing once every two weeks and you should have a very small net on that. And mm -hmm. you should be pretty vigilant about making sure that like, you're just going to stop development if you don't like, you know, if they're not paying. Right. Right. Is that something that you make clear at the, the outset or have you had to pull that out along the way and say, hey, you know, it's been two weeks. We haven't received payments. We're going to stop um, unless we get it ASAP. Um, so thankfully, we've never had to do that to one of our clients, but 
you know, like that's a question for anybody, right? Like, do you trust this person? Do you not? I would say always err on the side of not trusting, right? Because you don't want to be that person to be like, oh, they said they'll pay. Oh, they said they'll pay. Okay, all of a sudden they owe me $50,000. What do I do? Oh my God, that's $50,000. You know, like you don't want to be in that situation. Um, So I think when you're doing development work, consulting work, like you should always have a good buffer, right? My husband is so annoying because he's like, oh, you should have a one year buffer of, of, expenses. And I'm like, are you insane? You know, I'm like, well, three months is fine. He's like, are you crazy? So again, everybody has different ideas about what that buffer makes them feel comfortable with. But like as a consultant, make sure you're getting paid, making sure you're not billing every month because, you know, it's scary, right? Like, I don't know how much you'd make in a month, but like, if you all of a sudden have to go without a month's worth of pay, that kind of sucks. Also, a lot of consultants, what I find is they forget that it's not when they get billed, right? Especially when they transition from salary to consulting, like you bill the client and then you have to wait a net 30 or a net 15, right? I would recommend if you're starting consulting, do a net 15. A lot of larger companies have net 60s, net 90s, net, you know, but also everything that you're handed, you can also negotiate. Right. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, like for us, we're a little bit bigger. So we have a little bit more of a buffer. We can do a net 60 or a net 90 sometimes if we think it's worth it. Right. Right. Um, But a lot of people can't do that. So it's, you know, and that can hurt. Right. Like you're not getting Mm -hmm. paid for three months. Holy crap. What do you do? (laughs) Right. I'm curious about uh, you. You mentioned you'll do a net 90 if it's worth it. What are when would it be worth it? Like, I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis, but what are, what are some indicators, I guess, where it would be worth it for you? Um, it's just more, if you can afford it, like to work with some of the larger companies and I can't give any specific examples, but like, let's say Google, for example, has a net 90, right? Is it worth it to work with Google at a net 90? I don't know. You're going to have to make that decision on your own. Right. Um, But, you know, sometimes it's just worth it for us to do so. And we can afford it. That's important. I mean, you don't want to ever be in the situation where you're not paying people the, you know, like I will never be in a situation where I can't pay the people I work with. Right. A lot of startup people also don't take that into consideration maybe, or if you're a smaller shot, maybe you feel like, Oh, we can just, you know, handshake on it and don't worry, I'll pay you. But, you know, I've seen some companies just close up shop that exact day because they were waiting for a payment and it didn't come through and they couldn't pay payroll. So they had to shut down immediately. And to me, in my opinion, it's better if you're in that situation to be like, okay, in three months, we're going to run out of money. So let's close down shop now so we can pay our people out and we give them enough buffer to actually find a new job versus, oh crap, it's Tuesday. Goodbye. I can't pay you by the way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Never a good situation. (laughs) Well, you know what? I, uh, I think that's a good place to start wrapping up. Um, is there anything that you'd like to, to plug anything you'd like to promote before we, we go? I would say probably, number one, come to our events. So if you go to this.co, you can see all the different amazing events that we have going on. Um, Number two is just from a consulting perspective, if you need any of our help, come hang out, hire us. Um, 
you know, even if it's not a female put on your team, like what, you know, when you're hiring us for consulting, you are helping us change the ratio and you're giving us more money to be able to try to figure out how to bridge the gap between women and tech. <laughs> so that's exciting. Um, and then if you, you know, if you know anybody who is looking for positions, uh, let us know. So I'll tell you, Ryan, it was so funny the other day, actually, this was yesterday. I was counting the number of people on my marketing team who were moms who were just transitioning back into careers. And uh, it's all of them except for two. Wow. Which is crazy. That's incredible. You know? Yeah. I was like, what? This is insane. And, you know, then I was listening and I was like, okay, every single person is like wife of a developer. <laughs> Literally every single one. So, is that right? Yeah, it's hilarious, but it's great at the same time. Like, I love it, right? So, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, I will be sure to link up all of those resources in the show notes. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time, and I very much look forward to the next time that we're at a conference or a contributor days together. Yes, thank you. All right, see you later. so much for tuning into the entrepreneurial coder podcast today you'll be able to find show notes including links to all the resources that tracy mentioned at ecpodcast.io if you've got any feedback about the show if you'd like to suggest a future guest or if you just want to say hi i'd love to hear from you say hi on twitter at twitter.com slash coder podcast also if you enjoyed this episode and if you feel so inclined it would be great if you could leave a review and subscribe and if not no hard feelings until next time, happy hacking.